I would like to have everybody, if you would, open your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. We are, as you know, going through the book of Mark. We've had two Sundays in a row where I felt like after I left that you may have left doing this. So, the unpardonable sin, super encouraging sermon, uh, super important though. Uh, and then last week when we talked about the parable of the soils or the parable of the sower or the parable of the seed, whatever you wish to call it, uh, there was that judgment passage that's right in the middle of that uh, famous parable that we talked about. And the burden of that passage is, is that those who refuse to hear are going to receive hearing the word as judgment on them. So the more that they hear, the more judgment that they incur. And that does feel oh, heavy and weighty, especially in a culture that is saturated or used to be, or in some regards still is, with the proclamation of biblical truth. It's not like it used to be, but it's still there, and I'm thankful for the freedom for us to be here today. Now, we're transitioning into a section of parables. There's going to be three parables we're going to read this morning. They're short snippets. They're just little like punches that Jesus gives and they are meant to describe what the kingdom of God is like. Now these parables you're going to find in the other synoptic gospels, but not always in the same place. Mark, as we've said before when we started this series, Mark is not going chronologically through the life of Jesus. Mark is extracting portions of what he felt was most important in describing uh, the life and ministry of Jesus, and he's putting it together and collecting it, and we pretty sure that he was doing this with the Apostle Peter. So this is really Peter's uh, account through Mark uh, with the Gospels uh, or with these stories. So after the parable of the sower, we go right into this discussion on the parables of the kingdom. And I want to say from the outset, as we get into this, that context is always really important in understanding parables. Sometimes People try to create, you can really make a parable say whatever you wish, right? You could, you can make, well, the, this means that, and that means this. A lion always represents this. A seed always means the same thing. That's not true. You, you have to look at the context of what this gospel is saying. So that's what we want to do this morning. So let's start reading with verse 21. We're going to read through verse 34. We're going to pray and ask God for help to understand it. Verse 21, And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed, and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. 
the earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out larger branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning in the precious name of Jesus, and we ask that we would be given ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. Lord, we run across these parables. They're so familiar in many ways to us, or elements of these parables are tickling our nostalgia. We've heard them in Sunday school or sermons. Lord, help us to hear what you're saying beyond our memories of it. God, help me to communicate today in a way that is effective, and Lord, in a way that causes growth in our life. Lord, we thank you for this and ask you for this in the name of Jesus. And all God's people says, Amen. Now right off the bat, let's look at verse 21, and let's go ahead and have a textual critical discussion of the phrase, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket? Now this is something that you would not know, and I would not know if there were not scholars out there, but there is in here a little debate over the way this is translated. Every or The vast majority of translations is very similar to the ESV, which says, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket? In Greek, it actually says, does the lamp come? So let's just everybody put on your thinking cap, okay? It's actually not as complex as it would sound. When you say... Does everybody know what a definite article is and an indefinite article? Don't be embarrassed if you don't. A definite article is the lamp. An indefinite article is a lamp. There is a big difference between a lamp, which could mean any of them, or the lamp in the living room. Now I'm using a definite article and it singles out exactly what we're talking about. So the, in our language, is different than a or a, right? But everybody's following me so far. So when it's translated is a lamp, it gives the idea that Jesus is simply talking about a lamp in general. But if we're, if the Greek is actually a definite article, then it means that Jesus has a specific lamp in mind. Now, this is not One way or the other, the meaning is going to be very similar. But if if Jesus intended it that way, then that means he's probably actually talking about himself as the lamp. One way or the other, we're talking about Jesus and the gospel and the proclamation of the gospel because we know that Jesus is the light of the world, right? And, And he compares himself to a lamp in, in John. So we know that that is not outside of the realm of possibility, but read some commentaries, listen to several different people. There's 
not a massive debate over it, but if this is really, does the lamp come to be put under a basket, it's got a more powerful emphasis that Jesus is not supposed to be hidden. That is, that is what is being said. Now, we already can feel that, whether it's the indefinite article or not, but I look at that and I hear that and I read that, I'm like, you know, if this is what that means, there is a stronger emphasis that Christ is talking about Himself. So if read it that way, does the lamp come to be put under a basket? Now, the, the word basket there in Greek is also important because it's not just any old Longaburger basket. Does anybody remember those? Those things were great and stupid expensive, but they were great. Um, it's not a basket that you can go to Michael's or Hobby Lobby and buy and fill up with dead flowers and make it look cool like everybody does and my wife does and I appreciate it and I think it looks wonderful. It's not that kind of basket. It's actually a specific measuring basket. Just plug that into your head because the end of the parable has something further about that. So Jesus is saying, is a lamp or does the lamp me the light of the world, did I come to be put under a basket? Did I come to be stuck under the bed and thus hide the light? Isn't the purpose of the lamp to sit it up on a lamp stand? Now, in their world, a lamp was just a clay bowl that they squished the edges up together so there were points and there was a hole in the middle and you could pour oil in, and the little points had little holes and you could put a floating wick up in there. So the wick is down in the oil, it soaks up the oil, you light it at night, and it gives off a little bit of a glow so that you don't break your pinky toe on the coffee table. That's been universal problem throughout history. Okay, That is the point of having a lamp or a nightlight, and it's meant to shine in the darkness so you can see. And Jesus is saying, I am not here to be hidden in any way. I am here as the light of the world. We just got done in the, the parable prior talking about the gospel being the seed that was sown. And now he is saying in Mark, he's saying, the lamp is not here to be hidden. The word, the light the gospel, the truth, me, I am not here to be hidden. For nothing hidden, verse 22, nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. Now, who Jesus is and the mystery of what the gospel is to the nation of Israel, their misunderstanding of who the Messiah is, Jesus is saying, I am here and this secret of who I am is now being expressed and explained and shown in the very beginning of Mark when he said the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. As we've said all throughout Mark, he is saying, I am the king of the kingdom and I'm here and I'm proclaiming to you this message. Listen, listen, listen. That is, that's what's happening. That's what Jesus is describing. And he's saying, you can't hide this. That is not the point of my coming. 
And then he says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. He is talking to the same group of people, some of which are hearing and some of which are not hearing. Some of which are unrepentant in heart and are there for miracles, but they're there for nothing else. And some are believing and hearing, and he is calling them to hear and to believe. And verse 24, pay attention to what you hear. I feel like I could just probably preach multiple sermons on that all by itself. Because that would be a universal principle in a lot of ways. Pay attention to what you hear or take heed to what you hear. But then he just keeps going and says, with the measure you use, it's going to be measured to you. If you hear the message of the kingdom now, in this measuring that he's describing, more is going to be added to you. Look at, look at the way he says, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. It's kind of a weird juxtaposition of thoughts. Because I don't think of hearing and measuring simultaneously. And in other places where this measuring parable is used, it's used in reference to kindness, and it's used in reference to judgment, it's used in reference to giving and receiving, it's, it's used in several different contexts. Here, he's saying, pay attention to what you hear, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. What is he trying to say? If you hear this gospel of the kingdom, you hear and the measure that you're hearing it with, receiving this message of the kingdom, you are going to have more added to you. There, there is an idea, obviously, of right now, right here, hearing the gospel, hearing the message, receiving it, and more is going to be added to you because this life is temporary. This life is not all that there is. This life is very brief. According to the book of James, your life is a vapor. It is over like that. When you step back and look at eternity as the most important issue, where will you be when you are dead is way more important than all the little things we get caught up in in our 80, 90 years at best on planet earth. And Jesus saying, pay attention to what you're hearing in this temporary span of life. What are you measuring into yourself when you are hearing? If you are hearing this gospel of the kingdom, still more is going to be added to you. Which helps me understand verse 25. For to the one who has, more will be given. Almost doesn't sound fair, does it? This is not the way we do ice cream at my house. Because if you do it this way, there will be fights. At my house, we like had little scales when I was growing up. If Daniel got even a, just a 
tip of a teaspoon more than I did. Well, that's unacceptable. I am going to go and get a tip of a teaspoon in addition to what he... I'm not going to allow you to have more than me. Fairness. The same. That is not the way the kingdom of God works. Not according to our understanding of what fairness is. Because he says, for the one to the one who has, more will be given. So if you have heard this message of the kingdom, you have received this message of the kingdom, not only do you have something now, you've received eternal life, you are headed to something awesome in heaven for eternity. You have heaven now, you have the Holy Spirit now, you have the Word of God now, you have life now, and more is going to be given to you. From the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Jesus says in another place, what would it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? What would it profit you to be the most wealthy, most powerful, most influential person that there is with the best looks and the best everything and die and go to hell? What would the real win there be? There would be zero win. None whatsoever. It's the first parable of the kingdom. The value of the kingdom. I probably need to define what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God, the simple definition that I'll give of it is, it's the reign and the rule of Jesus Christ over individual hearts, over individual lives, And that kingdom grows one person at a time. The reign and rule of Christ. Now, I want to step back from that and say, God reigns and rules everywhere anyway. But in terms of you receiving the kingdom and being a part of the kingdom and belonging to the king, that is one person at a time that believes the gospel, repents of their sin, and follows Jesus. Okay. So Jesus just explained to us what's going on. There is a parallel here to the way that the uh, parable of the sower was described, uh, the way we were talking about the judgment that to those that are hearing and have been given to hear and they are receiving the message of Jesus, those people are producing 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. But the other folks are nothing, getting nothing. And not only are they getting nothing according to to that Isaiah 6 passage, the judgment is worse because they're hearing the Word of God and producing zero fruit. They don't belong to the kingdom. They are increasing the judgment that they're going to receive. So there's kind of a parallel there when he says even what he has is going to be taken away. It is a scary and terrible and horrifying thing to think that people will be judged for hearing and refusing. Verse 26. He gives us another parable. The kingdom of God's like a seed that's growing. So let's look at that. He said, the kingdom of God as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. So he's trying to get us to understand what is this reign and rule of Christ really like? What does it look like? 
It's as if a man scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. We kind of know. I remember sticking a lima bean in a Ziploc bag for some sort of sixth grade experiment. I see Holly shaking her head. Is that still that? Right? That's a teacher thing, right? Put it in a Ziploc bag. It's got water in it, and you can watch as the as it the lima bean, which you know it's a terrible example. Who wants lima beans? But just in case there are people who do, you see it like start to sprout down, and it the 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 bottom of the like there's a root that's trying to find a place, and then the stem that's trying to break the surface. Of course, it's not in dirt, but you can watch it do that. It's really fascinating. But even watching it do it. What control do I have over that lima bean? I don't have any control. I can't make the lima bean grow. The only thing I can do is put the, put the seed out there and let the water water it, but I don't have, I can't make the seed grow. God is the one who makes seeds grow. God's the one, as I looked at that little lima bean in the Ziploc bag, and I was watching. I was watching what the lima bean does, but I don't fully comprehend how that works. In the same way, when you and I plant seed, when the kingdom of God is like a man who scatters seed, and you look at it day and night to see if it's growing, and you see it growing, the farmer does not know how that's happening. Think Jesus is trying to say, you're you're not in charge of how you're in charge of preaching. You're in charge of proclaiming. And the reason, the reason I think that is uh, 1 Corinthians 6, or 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's everybody go there, because just so you can see, this isn't the only time this sort of language is used. This is an encouraging scripture for me. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. That's where I'm getting that language. Paul planted, Apollos watered, God gave the growth. I'm responsible to be a proclaimer of the gospel. I'm responsible to be someone who spreads the message of the kingdom. I am not responsible to open somebody's heart up and make it get it and understand. Because I I can't. God is the one who gives the growth. And then he even goes on and says, He who plants and he who waters are one. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. So Paul understood what Jesus is saying here in this parable. The kingdom of God is like somebody scattering seed. He checks it every day. He sees there's some kind of growth but he doesn't know how it's working, doesn't need to know how it's working. He just needs to be faithful as the farmer, as the guy who planted the seed to be a planter and to be a waterer. Look at verse 28. 
the earth produces by itself. Man doesn't make it happen. Man just puts it out there because God uses means. Does everybody understand what that means? God uses you to be the proclaimer of the kingdom. I've said a thousand times, I wouldn't have picked you. (laughs) I I wouldn't have picked me. I wouldn't have picked us to be faithful proclaimers and seed casters. But that is what God has done. And through the foolishness of the message and frequently the messengers, God is glorified as His kingdom grows. But look at what this parable continues to say about the kingdom of God and the way that it works. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. So we're describing like wheat. So it starts to come up through the earth, and then there's this blade or this flower that begins to come out. We know there's going to be fruit there, and then the ear of corn or the grain or whatever it is, it's finally there. And Jesus says, when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. I want to I want to talk about this just for a little bit because the kingdom's growth is not immediate. I think Jesus is trying to get across to them that their expectation was wrong about the way the kingdom should work. When you read the Old Testament passages, it does sound like there's going to be this ultimate, decisive, just bang, It's there it is. And their expectation was, bang, here it is. Remember in the book of Acts, the disciples were saying things like, are you going to now restore the kingdom to Israel? Is this it? We're going to see all these filthy Romans bathed in their own blood as we finally get our due? Like they're thinking, this is it. Finally, Jesus has risen from the dead. Clearly, this is it. And Jesus says, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. You know the sons of Zebedee, also known as the sons of Thunder, who had explosive personalities. You know Simon the Zealot were probably at least slightly disappointed. I think they probably thought Jesus has risen from the dead. He's just going to lead some kind of supernatural army in here. Like with Elijah, there's going to be chariots with flaming horse heads come down out of heaven and just slaughter all the Romans. And Israel's going to be lifted up to where it's supposed to be. So the eschaton, the end, the they believe this is it. And Jesus says, no, that's actually not the way this is going to happen. So when you read this and Jesus says, the earth produces the kingdom. Remember, we're talking about the kingdom. It's going to be a blade. It's going to grow up. You'll see an ear. And then the full fruit or grain. And then immediately the sickle. So Jesus, I believe, is trying to communicate the kingdom is a process of growth. It's going to take time. But there is coming an end where the sickle is put to the harvest, and that is immediate. That is the end. That is the judgment. That is the final act. I also think that this is meant to be understood individually. So I think, I think there's 
two ways for Jesus, for us to understand what Jesus is saying. There's, there's an individual application here to people hearing the word of God, hearing the gospel, and, and that seed that is planted and the Holy Spirit is working in their heart and other people are watering that seed and God is giving the increase. First Corinthians chapter three. That means not everybody just hears the gospel and immediately becomes a Christian. For, for pe- some people, there is a process. Every, n- nobody's the same. There's this process of time for people to have the fruit of the kingdom in their life where they've heard the gospel and they become Christians. It, how many of you, it took time? Raise your hand if your story is not instantaneous, but it's, you heard the gospel and it just took time before you've, you, before you believed. Some of us, we grew up, I don't remember not believing. That's true. I, I do not ever remember not believing. Now, that has its own challenges. How many of you are like me? You don't remember not believing. So there's like half and half in this room. Some of you grew up with it and some of you didn't. You know what the spirit of the age says, right? If you grew up with it, Homer, if you grew up with it, how do you know that it may not be real? Because after all, your parents brainwashed you the same way parents brainwash kids with Santa Claus. How do you know Jesus isn't a celestial, spiritual Santa Claus that makes you feel warm and fuzzy in an American Christian culture? How do you know that it's not that? Has anybody felt that feeling? People that grew up in church? Of course you have. And I don't think it's bad to just look that thing straight in the face and wrestle with it and say, okay, why do I believe? Now, I remember my mom and dad believed, so I did, right? And mom and dad were really influential because it's mom and dad and I'm a little kid. But I remember watching a Willie George video. Some of you know who that is and some of you don't. Little Willie George video in children's church when I was a little kid. There was puppets. It was the eighties. It was, it was all of it. And he, there was a little puppet with a heart and he was talking about this heart needed to be born again. And he read the story of Nicodemus and I knew it was all true. I knew what my parents, but there was a, I knew. I knew it was real. I got older and start to drift like people do. And God jerked a knot in me like He does by the power of the Holy Spirit, not allowing me to go completely loony or run away. The kingdom of God, blade, grain, ear. I think you can look at that individually. But I also think Jesus is trying to get across the entirety of the church age. The whole of church history. Don't think, disciples, don't think that this is going to be immediate. Don't think the end is instantaneous. Don't think that because it's not. But when it's ripe, the sickle is coming to harvest all the grain. 
That's actually a throwback to Joel chapter 3, verse 13. It is a judgment passage, but it's a, a judgment passage because when the sickle comes, when the second coming happens, and, are, and all that's gathered in to heaven, all the Christians are gathered in, what does that mean for the non-Christian? It means they are not gathered in. So the, the judgment is when it's ended, when it's over, it's ended and it's over. And I think what Jesus is simply trying to say, there is a period of time and a process that's going to go on. Finally, verse 30. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? So now Jesus is just being really open and really direct and saying, I'm giving you guys parables so you can get some sort of idea of what the kingdom is like. I'm trying to give you ideas of what the kingdom of God is like that is clearly different than what your expectation is. I want you to think with me. And then he says it's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. By the way, it's not the smallest seed on earth. There are smaller seeds. There are people that bring this up and say, see, the Bible's not inspired and Jesus didn't know what he was talking about. As if there's no such thing as hyperbole. As if there's no such thing as telling a story to a group of people who would understand in Jewish agrarian culture that the mustard seed is the smallest of these seeds they really plant that has this giant plant that comes out of it. It can be a 12 feet, a mustard bush, can be like three feet by 12 feet. It's a much, much bigger product from a very, very small seed. That's the point that Jesus is trying to make when he says that. And he's saying that the kingdom of God is like that. It starts out small and it grows into something big. That's actually pretty simple. I would, I would say that, or I believe what Jesus is saying is that, again, similar to what he said in the parable prior to this, is that you cannot assume that the kingdom of God is going to grow the way you think it will, or it's going to turn out the way that you would assume it would. You, you, you need to know that this little tiny seed, this mustard seed, when it grows, it gets really big. It grows over time, and the blessing is, when it puts out its branches, the birds of the air can make nests, in its shade. It starts small, it grows much larger than you would anticipate the little itty-bitty tiny mustard seed to produce. So let's sum up what Jesus has said in these three parables. The idea of the kingdom is Jesus is the lamp and the light and we are to proclaim Him. He is not to be hidden. We are to receive the kingdom and we are to implore others receive the gospel of the kingdom. We are to be preachers of this kingdom and our expectation as preachers of the kingdom is not to see immediate instantaneous results. We have to trust that God will do His work. This is actually very, very freeing Hopefully for all of us, we've got William Tyndale's quote right over here. Christ is with us and to the world's end. Therefore, let his little flock be bold. 
If, if you are waiting to measure results and see how well you did, you're an American. Which, which we are, right? Can't help it. Everything's, we gotta see measurable results. We gotta graph it. We gotta track it. We've gotta analyze it. We've gotta reproduce it. And that, I believe, is why so many kids who do grow up in church don't want anything to do with Jesus later in life. Because they've been given this idea of a trackable, measurable, reproduced product called Christianity. And it is not that. We're talking about the growth of the Word of God and the Kingdom of God in the hearts of individuals that's done through the proclamation of the Gospel and the Word of God. We are not talking about if we had a fog machine up here, then maybe the kids would like it. If I could say all the right clever words that are being used on TikTok presently, then maybe I'd be more relevant. It's horrible. It's embarrassing at this point, right? I've reached the age that even trying to use the words is embarrassing, so I don't use them. Uh, I don't even, thankfully, and in my, my greatest strength is, I don't know what they are. So that's, that, that helps me uh, to avoid trying to use them. Now I have a bunch of teenage girls running around the house. It's not that I don't hear the phrases, because I do. I just put them off on a shelf and say, these are the words I will not use. Uh, in my preaching or anything else. It is a mistake for us to try to polish Jesus up and polish up the message of the Gospel and try to make it as relevant as we can. We have been doing this for 40 or 50 years and definitely for the last 20 years trying to make an entertainment center and make people feel as comfortable as they can and feel as ooey-gooey and squishy as they can. And there's no judgment and there's no nothing. And it's as if, honestly, and I'm not, I'm not saying I've got to figure it out, but you can't read the Bible and come up with that. You can't read Jesus telling people, eat my flesh and drink my blood when the crowd got too big and realize Jesus was not interested in a crowd. He was interested in belief. He was interested in faith. He was interested in repentance. He was interested in the reality of the kingdom. Not, let's make it as appealing as we can. So when you read these things about the kingdom, what you're reading is, you're reading the actual power of God that is actually at work in the hearts of people And where your faith should be is, if Jesus is the light that can't be hidden, and the kingdom of God is like a seed that grows, and I don't always understand it, the encouragement should be, the faith should be, I'm going to preach the gospel, I'm going to preach it, I'm going to share it, I'm going to do whatever I need to do for my friends and my neighbors and my relatives to get it, I'm going to do all of that, and I'm going to trust that the Holy Spirit through the gospel that's been proclaimed, will work in the hearts of these people. I'm going to let God be God over the kingdom, and I am simply going to be the guy talking about the lamp and spreading the seed. That's what our job is. Our job is not to open somebody's heart up spiritually and try to make them become Christians, because we can't do it. Nor should we soften the message, nor should we dilute the message, nor should we add appendixes to the message and try to make everything as 
entertainment or ooey-gooey as possible. I don't know about you, but I would much rather have a doctor actually tell me what's wrong with me than to tell me everything's fine. He looks at my chart and sees stage 4 cancer and tells me everything's fine. Just take a couple of these pills. Would, would you not be upset if somebody told that to your wife because he didn't want to hurt her feelings? And then she passes away and you had no clue? Would that qualify as probably a lawsuit? How much worse is it to not accurately define the spiritual condition of people? To accurately define that the kingdom of God is repent for the kingdom of God is at hand and accurately describe the statements of Jesus and the word of God to a world that's dying and going to hell. We have an obligation to be spreaders of this light and this kingdom. And it is joyful news because we have been recipients of this life-changing message of the gospel and we are born-again believers. So, spread some seed this week. Take Jesus out from under that measuring bowl and instead share with people the measure that you've received. You do not need to be a theologian. You just need to tell people, I was a sinner and I was saved by grace through faith in Jesus. He died for my sins that I committed. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, now I see. What about the dinosaurs? Who cares? I want to have everybody stand up if you would. Everybody just bow your head with me if you would. We're going to pray and dismiss, but I want to ask just, you know, there may be some people in your life that as I'm talking about this kind of thing, you're thinking about um, people that you have a burden for in your heart. They could be family. They could be friends. They could very likely be co-workers. Let's pray for them this morning as we go. Let's pray for open doors of opportunity to plant seed and water seed. Father, we come before You in the name of Jesus. We thank You for this day. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You all these illustrations of the Kingdom of God and its growth and its over time and that You are sovereign Lord of Lords over all of it. God, help us to see the opportunities this week. Help us to hear You 
Open our eyes and our hearts. Give us open doors of ministry that we can share what you've done. But we're living in a time where being bold about what we believe is starting to have a price tag. God, I pray that we would not count the cost in terms of the way the world wants us to count the cost, but to count the cost of the kingdom and proclaim without fear and with boldness that Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord, I pray for these people that we're all lifting up before you now, these co-workers and these friends and these family members. God, we pray that their hearts would be receptive. We pray that their eyes would be opened. God, do the miracle. Open eyes, open hearts. Lord, we thank you that we would get to be a part of the harvest and part of the growth of the kingdom and planting the seed. God, we give you all glory and all honor for it this week in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Church, I kept you five minutes too long last week, so I'm giving you ten minutes back this week. We are even. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.